Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. It's the White Sox 2, the Indians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I'm coming to you again. I'm recording late at night on Sunday night because I got another early day ahead of me on Monday. So that means once again, we are doing Cleveland Baseball Nightly. All right, and I'm going to be honest. You could tell the players were exhausted from that Saturday night game. I mean, what a difference a day makes. After Saturday night is one of the most exciting baseball games of the entire season, Sunday they came out and the pitchers absolutely dominated. Both offenses were exhausted. Both teams, four hits apiece. The White Sox only have one earned run and the Indians only have one earned run, both on solo home runs. The other White Sox run comes, of course, on a bases-loaded hit batter. Of course, it's Jose Abreu again. Of course, it was up. It was in the shoulder. It wasn't in the head. It was up at the shoulder. But, of course, Tony La Russa comes storming out of the dugout again. And, I mean, that's the big storyline of this game. The fact that just neither offense had anything in the tank today. The pitchers absolutely dominated. Uh, for the Indians, it was Quantrill. Really solid start from Quantrill. Six innings pitched, three hits, one run unearned, but he did hit the guy, so technically wasn't it earned. Uh, four walks, that really that really got him in trouble, especially there in that fifth inning, and six strikeouts to go along with that day. I mean, that fifth inning is really the only inning where things really fell apart for Quantrill. Um and it was a combination of errors. It was tons of stuff. Uh, Brian Goodwin reaches on a fielding error by shortstop Ahmed Rosario to lead off the inning. Lurie Garcia grounds off softly. Um, Quantrill to first baseman Owen Miller. Goodwin moves up to second. Then he walks Zavala. He walks Zavala. Tim Anderson lines out to right field. Cesar Hernandez then, he has a chance to get out of it. He has a chance. He gets a ground ball to Jose Ramirez at third base from Cesar Hernandez. Jose Ramirez looks to second base to maybe go the short way to get the out. But the ball gets stuck in his glove a little bit. And so then when he turns to make the throw to first, can't get a lot on the throw. And Cesar Hernandez actually beats it out by a step. That loads the bases for Jose Abreu, who they hit in the shoulder. It brings in the run to score. And then uh, Gavin Sheets would pop out. Jose Ramirez would actually make a very acrobatic catch in foul territory to end that threat. So Quantrill, uh, a walk does does hurt him in that situation because it did get that extra runner on. It allows them to load the bases, which means the hit by pitch brings in the run. Obviously, without that walk, it completely changes the complexion of that inning. Luckily, earlier in the game with a bases loaded situation, the walks did not kill Cal Quantrill. He almost got into trouble in the second inning after Gavin Sheets lead it off with a single. Yohan Makata flied out to left field. Adam Engel would walk, uh, moving Gavin Sheets up to second. Brian Goodwin would walk after that to load the bases with two, with one out. With one out. And Lurie Garcia hits the uh, shortest chop that you could possibly hit in front of home plate. Roberto Perez is able to step out 
and uh, get the ball, step on home, very alertly step on home, and then turn and throw to first. A very heads-up play from Roberto Perez to get that double play from Garcia. It had a launch angle of negative 62 degrees. Uh, Its distance was one, one foot. That's That's the registered distance on that Lurie Garcia double play ball that he hits out in front of home plate. So those are... For some reason, an expected batting average of 280. I guess you could beat out a bunt like that, right? I, I mean, maybe that's where that comes from. That should be an expected batting average of zero, uh, especially with the bases loaded and the catcher can just step on home. So, uh, yeah, the walks uh, are obviously something. He's able to get out of it in the second. It does affect him, though, in that fifth inning, and it creates the only run uh, that the White Sox would have until the end of the game, which we will get to. Um, I thought one of the interesting battles in this game was Cal Quantrill against Johan Moncada because uh, he threw him some really tough inside sinkers. Um, you would think you would think they look a little bit like two seamers, but they're actually sinkers that he throws in on those lefties. And uh, if I can pull up Johan Moncada's at bats against Cal Quantrill. And take a look at these here. So Moncada comes up in the second inning. And he stays away to him. Stays away for him the whole time. And eventually gets him to fly out to Oscar Mercado. The next time Moncada comes up. This time he gets him to strike out looking. By painting the inside corner. Attacking him inside with a hard sinker. A 94.8 mile per hour sinker. That he looks at for a called strike. Uh, so that is a great job of you were going to wait to him in his first at bat. Now you're attacking him inside. Then the next time Moncada comes up, he's facing Quantrill again. And this time he's able to get him out looking again, this time going away and frankly getting away with one. Getting away with one. Um, Try to throw him a slider inside that he fouled off and then freezing him with a sinker on the outside edge. For strike three, this ball is, frankly, a good baseball off the plate, but he gets the call. There was a pretty pretty wide strike zone today. So, Mancada and Quantrill had quite the battle going, but Quantrill actually is able to strike him out twice. Mancada had a few chances in this game and actually has three strikeouts in this game, and I just thought it was an interesting battle between those two. Quantrill... And Moncada, the fact that he got him looking, that he threw him that inside sinker a couple times and was able to strike him out with it. Uh, it was a really effective pitch for Cal Quantrill, at least in that matchup. Overall on the day, Quantrill's stuff is more about weak contact than it is swing and miss. He was able to get seven called strikes on that sinker. So the sinker was effective from that perspective. Not a ton of whiffs, only two whiffs on 17 swings. It's good for a 21% CSW on that pitch. The most effective pitch when it comes to CSW was the slider, which he got a lot of whiff on. And it's good for a total of 24% CSW on the day. But the sinker... The average exit velocity against his sinker was 77.5 miles per hour. Now, that is key. If you're inducing weak contact, it doesn't matter if they swing and miss. You want them to swing if they're inducing weak contact like that. That's why that's when a sinker can be ineffective. We've talked about some other guys like Mejia that it might not be working with. But with Quantrill, that sinker definitely seems to be working. 
And uh, digging into the rest of the box score here, I mean, there's not much on this day. Blake Parker comes in and really shuts him down on 10 pitches. Blake Parker is pitching really well, really well in relief right now. Um, He's definitely earned himself a bigger role in this bullpen. And then Nick Wickering comes in, and they leave him in for an extra inning. He had Class A warming in the bullpen, but with a tie game in the ninth inning, I think he was hoping to use Class A in a possible save situation in the 10th. But sometimes when you hold on to a pitcher like that, you end up in a situation where uh, you never get to him. Sometimes you got to take advantage of him. When you can get a guy in the game, get a guy in the game, because you may never get to the situation you're anticipating, right? And that's exactly the situation here. Wickren tries to get through the ninth inning, but the second batter up in that ninth inning would be Brian Goodwin, and Brian Goodwin would take one right down the middle, 108.5 miles per hour to right field, 25-degree launch angle, 371, 980 expected batting average for a walk-off home run. And you know what? I I don't completely blame Nick Wickren there because he did his job in the eighth inning. He was asked to come back, do some more in the ninth, walk the tightrope with the game tied in the ninth inning, and he gives up the home run. So it's not 100% his fault. DeMarlo Hale has to take a little bit of the blame on that one. He's the one that sent him back out there for a second inning after he does a really good job of shutting him down in the eighth inning. I mean, he got Jose Abreu to line out hard, 100-mile-per-hour line out, but then he strikes out Gavin Sheets and strikes out Moncada. So uh, he had already done his work in that eighth inning. And that's what happens sometimes when you try to push a guy into one more inning. Now, also, uh, from the Chicago side of things, uh, Jimmy Lambert did okay as the opener. He goes three innings. Only ends up giving up one run and two hits. He also had a walk. He got into some trouble, right? There were runners on first and second in that first inning after an Ahmed Rosario double and a Jose Ramirez walk, but he gets a double play to get out of it. Ronaldo Lopez came in and was really dominant as the second pitcher on this kind of bullpen game. He goes three innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, four strikeouts on 40 pitches, only one hard hit ball on 40 pitches. Aaron Bummer comes in. He has a clean inning. Craig Craig Kimbrell was dominant in the eighth. And then Liam Hendricks does give up a hit, but he was pretty dominant in the ninth inning. So their bullpen definitely got the job done today. I mean, pitching absolutely dominated. For the Indians, uh, the offense came from Ahmed Rosario, who had two doubles on the day. But Jose Ramirez and Fermil Reyes behind him were not able to drive him in. Uh, Fermil Reyes did have a single late, I believe that was in the ninth inning. And then, uh, the offense came from Miles Straw. Uh, Straw had a solo home run. He got one right down the middle and he put it out into left center field. It was just a really nice swing from a guy who's definitely not a power hitter. Do not expect Miles Straw to turn into, replace the home run production that you were getting from Cesar Hernandez, but Hey, it's a nice swing. So uh, he gets a home run, his third on the season, and that's it. That's it for the offense for the Indians. I mean, for the White Sox, it's not much better. Cesar Hernandez had a single. um, Sheets had a single. Engel had a single. And Goodwin had the home run. That's it. That's it. Their walks were able to help them. We only walked once, and we struck out 10 times. They walked four times and struck out nine. A little better strikeout-to-walk ratio for them. 
and it proves to be the difference because that one walk did set up a situation where we beamed a guy a run in. So, I mean, how much can you break down on a game where there's only four hits per side on a two-to-one game that walked off in the ninth inning? I think it's clear that both teams give it absolutely everything they had in that game Saturday night, and they just, that was all that was left for the Sunday day game. So hopefully, you know, a nice dinner, relax, they're traveling up to Toronto, hopefully they'll have a little bit more in the tank when they start this series against the Toronto Blue Jays, and they're going to need it. For some reason, it's a three o'clock game on Monday. I don't know, is there is there a holiday I don't know about? You know, is there any reason why this is a three o'clock game on a Monday but it's going to be Eli Morgan going against Ray for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And Eli Morgan gets a chance for some revenge. He gets a chance because remember, the Toronto Blue Jays were his very first start in that insane weather. So you know Eli Morgan is chomping at the bit to show the Blue Jays what he actually has when he can throw his change up without you know the wind taking it and uh, <laughs> frankly sending it right into the barrel of the Blue Jays hitters' bats. Um, so they're going up against Robbie Ray, who's 9-5 on the season with a 3.04 ERA. He's got a 1.06 whip. So that's a pretty good uh, stat line there. So it's going to be a tough challenge. The Blue Jays are three games ahead of them in the wildcard standing. The Blue Jays absolutely consider themselves to be a playoff team, to be a team contending. Even though they're in fourth place right now in the East, that's how competitive the AL East is right now. The Blue Jays are in fourth place. They're six games above 500, and they absolutely feel like they are contending for either a wild card spot or still in that division, even though they're eight games back. So it's going to be a really, really challenging matchup for the Indians in this series. Uh, so yeah, so that's all my thoughts. It's a short episode. Like I said, I'm recording this kind of late at night. I got to get an early start. And I mean, how much analysis can you do on this game? I mean, the Indians made some big defensive errors. Oh, the other one, the other one was Ahmed Rosario colliding with uh, Oscar Mercado in left field. How many times do we have to see this? How many times are these guys going to run into each other? I thought we learned our lesson. I thought we learned our lesson after Naylor went down. And yet, here we go again. Ahmed Rosario is charging out. Uh, Oscar Mercado is charging in. Mercado calls for it. And then Ahmed tries waving him off. Both of them could have caught the ball. We know that. They're both very good fielders. Both of them would have made the catch. The problem is, the reason you call it is so that you don't have these situations, right? I mean, that is 100% the outfielder coming in. If he calls you off as an infielder, get out of his way. I don't care if you have it. The outfielder has the call. And if it's two outfielders coming at each other, the center fielder has the call. If you hear the center fielder, get out of the way. He's the captain of the outfield for a reason. So I can't believe we're still having this situation. Bad defense definitely was something that reared its ugly head again today. You heard about the errors that set up that fifth inning run. So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on the day. That's, that's the big storylines. MVP for the day Oof, uh, let's give it to Miles Straw, right? His first home run as a Cleveland Indian. He only goes one for three on the day. It's the only thing he would do. But hey, first home run as a Cleveland Indian. I'm sure that felt pretty good to contribute offensively. And for a while, it looked like that one run might carry the day. 
but it does not turn out that way. So Straw gets his first MVP of the day. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be able to go into a little more detail. I'll be a little more settled on my journey here. And we'll talk about this Toronto series. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.